0: Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey everybody, and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor, and today on the show, I have a comedian, writer, and actor. He's performed comedy all over the United States and is open for acts like John Lovitz and Jody Miller. So, please welcome to the show, Plug Chapman. Welcome to the show, Plug
1: What's up, man? How you doing?
0: <laughs> I am good, and you sound great.
1: Well, I'm dry, man. It's a tornado passing through Atlanta right now, so I'm inside, so right? I'm 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 good. I'm good. <laughs> that,
0: that that is true. It's better to be, I guess, inside while the tornado is outside. So you're you doing all the right things. Um, I right. ha- I have to ask you just right off the the s- top here. The name plug. Where did that come from? What's the origin of that?
1: Oh. Uh, <laughs> Well, it came out the streets, man. Like um, back in the day, I used to be the guy people would call for pretty much whatever they need, and so you know it goes saying, uh, "Hey man, you got a plug on some Hawks tickets? You got a plug on this? You got a plug on that?" And it just would be so happen, I would, and so people <laughs> would just start calling me plug.
0: Wow, you know, growing yep. up, growing up, people used to call me macaroni and cheese because I ate a lot. And that's the best I got, but yours is <laughs> yours is way cooler. Yours is way cooler than what I had, so that's awesome. And so, how old were you when this when this nickname kind of developed?
1: Oh uh, well, I started noticing I had a knack for having what people needed when I was around seventeen, but the name didn't really take form till I was about twenty three, maybe twenty
0: four. Gotcha. Well, it's and a- then it,
1: it didn't stick until I got close to thirty.
0: Oh, I got you. Well, it's a very cool nickname. I love it. Plug. I appreciate it. It's very very powerful. Uh, So to jump in to talk a little bit about you and your comedy. Now, growing up, what types of either late-night television or just any type of uh, influences influenced you and your comedy?
1: Well, I remember um, it's a comedian he's passed. um, His name is Robin Harris. He's probably most known for the Bay Bay Kids thing back in the days. And um, I remember his special being the first special I ever watched. And I remember my parents see back in the 80s and like 90s when Richard Pryor and, uh, um, you know, people like Eddie Murphy would drop specials. My parents and all of their friends would meet up at each other's houses to watch them. Like that's what that was the date night. And one particular time they didn't have a babysitter and so they made me go with them. And I remember my dad telling me, Don't repeat nothing you hear on this TV tonight. <laughs> and I just remember watching it and them laughing and even me laughing as a kid, some of the stuff that I could relate to. I just remember that being like, Wow, this has gotta be the coolest job ever. This dude get paid to make people laugh. And um as fate would have it, man, I just happened to be funny. So <laughs> that was pretty much my introduction to mm. to the comedy game. I wasn't really a, a SNL guy or Mad TV. I just was sneaking like listen to comedy albums, like kids sneaking like look at uh Playboy magazine. Those were my my nudie books, comedy albums. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's very cool to hear that because from a very young age, you got to see how just a guy standing up there with a microphone just talking can bring people together. And like you mentioned, the parents having date nights, you know, coming together to bond and have this community over Comedy. So with that, when you when you saw that, how did you use that in your day to day life? Did you use it to get friends or to become popular in school? Cause you said that you happen to be funny.
1: Well, um, I think comedy is one thing that can heal all wounds across all boards. Like, for example, I used to use humor to get out of situations with bullies. When I was a kid, like bullies would try to mess with me and stuff. And then I would just always find ways to make stuff funny. Even if it would be me making fun of myself to just defuse them, not want to punch me in the face for five minutes. (laughs) So that was, um, I think after seeing, seeing Robin Harris being able to control a room of people with his words, I think that was what was, I guess what we call well, come to Jesus moment for me as a kid. It was like, wow, this is mesmerizing. This dude is powerful. He ain't speaking about nothing but everyday life, what people can relate to.
0: hmm Now, when you were making these jokes in front of people, um, did I know that's that's more in just a casual setting, but did you also perform in like theater or you tried to do stand up as a kid or as a teenager?
1: No, never never as a kid or a teen. My first time uh, I would always get into like the talent shows, but I, I used to want to be a rapper. So I would always do like a cover song of like a. I remember me and one of my buddies performed MC Hammer's Too Legit to Quit at the talent show <laughs> uh, one year. My first time speaking and like trying to make people laugh, I hosted a talent show my freshman year in college. And uh, I didn't prepare any material or nothing. I just pretty much riffed off of everyone in the talent show. And that was the first time I remember making a whole group of people laugh at once.
0: So what did you notice from performing music, like the difference from performing music and rapping and trying to make people laugh? Is there a different type of reaction you're trying to get from the audience?
1: No, you're still going for a reaction. But with comedy, it's more so it's a solo sport. you by yourself. So think about most musicians that you see. They even have a band. Most rappers have a hype man. They got a buddy up there with a microphone jumping around, making noise. And um, that was the difference. Uh, comedy, you by yourself. If you jumble your words, everyone hears it. You have nobody to help you if you forget something. So, so that's the biggest difference. I always tell all my musician friends, man, you got it made. <laughs>
0: so if if you believe that uh you know doing comedy is more difficult than doing rapping or being a musician what made you decide okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pursue a career in music i'm gonna focus more on comedy
1: funny story man i'm glad you asked that um i actually moved to los angeles in 2010 to i had stopped rapping because to answer your question i just used to dedicate too much time to write and raps <laughs> and it would just take too long but uh i became a manager and i used to work with a couple of guys some guys who's actually have gone on to some success since um it's a female rapper named iggy azalea i used to be her manager when she first moved to the united states wow but um i moved to california in 2010 to pursue a music career like i was um Pretty much going out there to knock on some doors and see if I could get some, uh, some of my, my music clients some deals and situations. And as fate would have it, the recording studio that we used to use in North Hollywood was walking distance. I used to have to pass the Ha Ha Cafe every day to go to the studio. And, um, some stuff happened in the music business that kind of showed me that. At the time, it wasn't my lane, and I need to switch my focus. And so um, I got the comedy bug, man. I stepped in the Ha Ha Cafe one day and asked the guy how often they do open mic, and I went and wrote me some jokes, and a few days later went back, and I've been doing stand-up since.
0: Wow. So that first time that, that you did uh, stand-up at the Ha Ha Cafe, was it a success, or were you scared? Were you nervous? What was going through your mind? What?
1: Nervous as a hook in church, as my dad used to say. Uh, <laughs> man, I it was like one of those things, because I've always made people laugh, but it's never purposely. It's mm-hmm. always just been, hey, I'm just being my natural self. And so I remember drinking a bunch of beer before the show, as we all do our first time. And um, it was this guy named Harry O that was a veteran comedian, and he noticed my drinking. So he's like, must be your first time, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, is that obvious? <laughs> and he's like, man, just go up there. You'll be fine, man. Go up there and do what you've been doing your whole life. And when I tell you, Max, that was the fastest five minutes in my life, I'm thinking like, oh, my God, this is going to be eternity. Like, how in the heck can somebody make people laugh and talk for five minutes? And it seemed like by the time I told my first joke, I was seeing the light. And so I get off stage, and Harry goes, he's motioning me to come over. I walk over to him, and he goes, man, that wasn't your first time. And I was like, yeah, it was. And he was like, oh, if it really was, man, you're going to be all right. Keep coming back. Wow. So that's what I
0: did. That's such a good first experience. Yeah, man. I was blessed to, um,
1: I tell all comedians, man, you want, you want your first few times, like really get in the trenches. Don't, don't do the, you know, we got, you got petty cake situations where you can go and perform for the first time in front of your friends and supportive people. And no, don't do that. Go perform for your first few times in the trenches and it does nothing but make you a stronger comic.
0: So, do you remember the first time uh, that uh, you performed stand-up and it did not go well? You bombed, and if you do remember that, how did you recover from that?
1: Man, we all remember that. You remember the first girl you tried to kiss and you bumped teeth with her, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, man. Well, first, a bomb is I couldn't think of the perfect metaphor to describe bombing, but it, it it is it's very embarrassing, but more importantly, it's humbling. And um my first time really bombing, you assess you assess. You assess, is comedy really what you wanna do? You assess, are you really funny? Or is this just a hoax and people been lying to you your whole life? <laughs> <laughs> You have a wide range of emotions, but the best thing to do after a bomb, I try to go find another stage immediately. Like I bombed one time in L.A. one night after improv so bad. I told my girlfriend at the time I was going to go down the skid row with a phone with a microphone and tell jokes <laughs> to homeless people just yeah. to get some laughs because <laughs> I was depressed. but yeah man shake it off you gotta shake it off get back out there
0: right and you know I think it's important too that just because a comedian may bomb one time that's not a reflection on who they are that's one time that's one data point
1: not at all it's so many factors it's so many factors that go into a strong solid performance and it's things outside of our control as comedians that we don't and um, I was actually talking to some people that we need to do a documentary about audience because the audience at a comedy show is a character in itself. Mm. think about it. How can all these people come from all these different walks of life, different economic, social backgrounds, and they can laugh at the same thing?
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know what I mean? Like, that's interesting to me. Or not laugh, you know? So
0: Right, that's very it, true. I remember... Yeah. Uh, I think it was last year, it might have been the year before when Chris Rock came here to Atlanta and I went to see him and I was thinking about, I thought the same thing where like there's all these different types of peoples of all different backgrounds, all different ages and we are all sitting together in this theater laughing. Like we all right. find it funny. And you're right, that is a very unique thing to discover why.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you know, uh, why, why is it, why do we see that guy from the stage sitting there with his arms crossed why do we see the people texting who why are you why are you chatting why are you enjoying the show Like, that's all stuff that's really really important to me and i think outside of just the need to feed my ego by feeling laughter mm. low-key that's a part of the reason why i do comedy before because of that challenge how can i get this old white guy who has nothing to do with how I live my life to laugh at what I have going on in my life right now.
0: Right. And then, okay. you know, to tie it all the way back to the beginning of how you were telling me how you discovered comedy, that that's what comedy is. It's It's about forming that bond, that community. So in that show, when the comedian's talking, you have everybody laughing together, being a part together of something special.
1: Right. Right. It's amazing to me. It's amazing. So I sit sometimes, I go to comedy shows and just sit and watch the audience. It's just it's amazing to me.
0: When you're performing a set and you see somebody in the audience that isn't laughing or, like you said, might be talking or texting, do you try to make an extra effort to get them geared back in or do you just focus on the greater audience as a whole?
1: Um, I focus on the greater audience as a whole. Um, I've been doing comedy now for almost 10 years, and so I've been in situations where literally one half of the room is laughing and one half is not. And if I go back and if I recorded the video, I can watch where I've just positioned myself naturally just to talk to the people that are laughing. Mm. And and I don't know like, if that's just a human thing. Uh, I don't know. But I try not to focus on on individuals um somebody sitting on the front row arms crossed i might you know make a joke back and forth with them to see if i can kind of get them to loosen up Mm -hmm. but um if i don't see it working i just keep it moving because we only got five minutes ten minutes and i'm not about to dedicate seven of that to some jerk who don't want to enjoy itself
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah that's very true now when it comes to writing uh how do you write what's your writing style Um, my writing
1: style is I don't force it. I know a lot of people say you're supposed to sit down and write something every day. That's cool, but different strokes for different folks. Everything, everybody works a different way. I, myself, um, I have a couple different ways I do it. Number one, I sit down and I type out everything. It's tedious, it's long, but it helps me eliminate stuff that I don't need. Um, as comedians, you know, trimming the fat is a lot of what we do. So typing things out helps me trim the fat. Second thing I do is I'll write on stage. I won't write on stage in a real show where it matters. I'll go to an open mic and let's say I want to talk about, uh, airplane food. I'll just go on stage and I'll talk about airplane food without anything written. And I'll see if I can pull anything from it. And if I get any laughs or chuckles or giggles or go back and listen and hear anything I like, then I'll formulate the joke around that. Mm. And so those are pretty much the two ways I do it.
0: Okay. So uh, would you say you record all of your sets?
1: Man, you have to. I tell all new comics, uh, we got a comedy class coming up at the laughing store. And I'm going to tell all the students, if you don't record when you walk on stage, you have just wasted some time. The only thing good about performing and you don't record is you just performed and you're getting better at performing in front of people. But this is an art form. And to to perfect the art form, to find out the do's and the don'ts, what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, you have to record every single time. And not only record, you have to go back and that's the tedious part right mm-hmm. there. Right. But I don't know. I don't know, man. In, in my experience, anytime I don't record something, I have a great set. Like,
2: yeah.
1: I'm, I'm tagging jokes off the top of my head. I'm doing act outs off the top of my head. That's what happens when I don't <laughs> record.
0: When so. you when you go back and listen to these recordings, I mean obviously you're listening to what got a laugh and what didn't, but do you also focus on like the beats and like the the little minutiae of how the words play with each other?
1: Oh, it depends. Sometimes a funny thing, I don't know if fun, you know people or you might do this yourself, but I rarely listen to good sets. Like if I have a really good show I probably won't listen to it. Or mm. if I do, I'll listen to it once or twice. But if I bomb or didn't do as well as I thought, oh man, I'll play that all night long.
2: Mm. And
1: when I listen, i listen to a few things. The first time, I'll just go through it and I'll listen to it just for the repetition, see how the laughs per minute were, see if I had any big gaps of silence. But then I start to go and pick through it like a fine to tooth comb. I listen to what you say, I listen to the beats. I listen to the cadence. Then I might go back and listen to um, my words if I need. If I said anything I didn't need to say, or you know, so I might listen five or six times.
0: Wow. Before
1: I said and done. Uh,
0: yeah. Wow. So I have to ask. Uh, you started doing comedy in Los Angeles, but then you ended up back here in Atlanta. So how come you made that move?
1: Oh, parenting. No, uh, my. <laughs> Got a kid here, and uh, let's just say I didn't pick the best co-parent. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I needed to come back home and take care of my daughter, and which I was able to get custody of, by the way, so it all worked out.
0: Awesome.
1: But um, I realized, too, man, L.A. is a very, very very expensive place to live mm. whether you pay in uh, financially or with your sanity it's very expensive to live there and i just it boiled down to the simple fact that i really wasn't doing anything there that i could not do here mm. so yeah I, between that and my kid need me it was kind of a no brainer
0: mm. What's been the biggest yeah. difference that you've noticed in the comedy scene comparing Los Angeles and Atlanta?
1: Um, here, you got an opportunity to grow more as a comic because you get more time. And you and I both know, and any comedian knows, that's the way we grow. We get you have to you have to be able to develop time on stage. Mm. And so in LA, you got a lot of spots that's three minutes, five minutes. Um, uh, you're not gonna be getting more than five minutes until you start to work your way up out there.
2: Ooh. So
1: here, if you come back to Atlanta. When I moved back here, my first show, they had a, um, they used to do a room over in East Atlanta at a little spot called Asylum. My first show I did was at Asylum, and I think I did fifteen minutes. And so here, you know, you can go and do 15 minutes, 30 minutes. If you want to drive outside the perimeter, Mm -hmm. you can really stretch your legs. Mm. That's that's the biggest difference. Okay. Second difference. We got crowds. (laughs) Mm. People in Atlanta love to laugh. They want to come to shows. Uh, We have open mics that are packed full of people that are ready to laugh. In LA, I didn't see much of that. It might've changed since since I left, but. LA, you're going to get comedians looking at their phones, and you you might be lucky enough if one of them brings a girlfriend or a sister <laughs> or something. You'll get an honest one or two people that might not be a comedian. Other than that, you're trying to impress your peers.
0: That's really interesting. Why do you think that? Because I, I would think in L.A. there would be a lot of people who would go to comedy clubs with the hope of maybe seeing a famous person or seeing someone they've seen on TV. Why Why don't you think the crowds are being drawn in in Los Angeles?
1: Because it's Los Angeles. You got so many other things going on. Mm. Just think of F the entertainment capital of the world. So we just talk about one area, one side of entertainment. This is just stand-up. And, and not only that, you have crowds in LA with people, you got those people who've been going to the comedy clubs for years, so they feel like, oh, we've seen everybody. We've seen Richard Pryor and Andy Murphy and Carlin, mm. And so, you have, um, you've got the Laugh Factory. You have the Hollywood Improv. Now, those places get packed out. But look at the names that are on these tickets. Look at the bill. Mm. You know, you got Chris D'Elia, You got Chris Spencer, you got all these big time comics. So unless you have uh, an IMDB of Tom Hanks, good luck getting on the show. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and that's the the L.A. culture. So if you, yeah, if you're blessed enough to get on one of those shows, yeah, you're going to have a packed crowd, star-studded, you know, Mo' Better Mondays. You're going to have some of the actors in the crowd. Uh, L.A. is big. You might have some porn stars in the crowd, some (laughs) athletes they come in and see the big-time people. Mm, but when you see. got a flyer with a bunch of up-and-coming people with no names. Yeah, good luck.
0: <laughs> now, what was the moment for you, um, and how long did it take you to reach this moment where you felt like you had fully established yourself as a stand-up, and you were confident in what you were performing on stage?
1: Oh, um, I don't know if you ever reached that moment <laughs> that, that confident as a comedian, man, because, you know, it's one of those things where we're always looking for some type of, you're looking for somebody to, 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 uh, what's the word? What's the word? Not gratify, but, um, what's the word? We always look for somebody to co-sign. We want somebody to always co-sign our funny, mm. you know, Oh, that guy's funny. That guy's good. And, we we constantly search for it. So I don't know if I've achieved that yet to where I just have the level of confidence to go, Hey, I know this is who I am and this is you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. because it's the it's the only job that changes every day. Some people might think you funny on the eight o'clock show and you get booed on the ten o'clock show, you have to reassess that funny to- <laughs> <laughs> you so, But but now to to if if I need to give you a more concrete answer, I remember the first time I did an all-black room because my sense of humor isn't really... Like, I'm a black guy, but my sense of humor is more so... Like, i got more of a writer. So when you go to an urban room, you got to be a comic. Like, they want you to flip on the floor, do all kinds of stuff to make them laugh. I don't necessarily do that. So the first time... I performed in an all-black room and stayed true to who I was, and somebody told me I was funny. That's when I, I kind of knew mm. that I had I had what it takes to be a comic. But it's a long road, man.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I know you were on Kevin Hart's Heart of the City. How did you get involved with that?
1: Oh, man. the um, So it's a guy in, in Atlanta that I always uh, tell him that if I ever make it, to, to be successful or famous you don't have to work no more uh so a guy named Dan Glazer, Dan Glazer, hit me up one day out of the blue and was like hey uh you ever been on TV and I'm like nah so apparently he had gotten word from some producers that they were looking for you know trying to find some up and coming comics that hadn't been on TV yet mm-hmm. and so that was the start of it and just emails and I had to do a couple of auditions um uh, and some videos and I went and did Zanies in Nashville and I had like you know you had one of those sets because Zanies was my first time working at Zanies, so I was looking forward to it like let me go do a good job hopefully they'll bring me back and uh, my set was like ah whatever so I was kind of down about it and the next morning that's when I woke up and I had an email from the production team at Heartbeat And they were like, we were looking at you and a couple of more comedians for this last spot on Heart of the City. And I had never heard of it at the time. So I just was like, all right, well, whatever. (laughs) And about an hour later, they called me back and was like, you got it. I was like, no joke. And so I pretty much had to tell my little brother, "Uh, I'm not going to be in Nashville the rest of the week. I got to go record. (laughs) And that's how it happened.
0: That's very cool. So do you feel like that was a big launching point in getting recognition and rec- being recognized?
1: Well, I'm going to be honest with you, man. In this day and age, like, the TV credits are, they're not as nostalgic as they used to be. Mm. And the reason being, you have a lot of, I mean, look at what's on TV now. Anybody. You got reality TV. You got um, internet Sensations. You got all of these people that flood in the airwaves and channels. And so as a comic, it is not as it's not the make or break like it used to be with a late night spot or something. It's really just a resume builder. And it looks good uh, when I put it in my booking emails, when I send the comedy clubs. Mm. But it really wasn't. A, I went back to work the next day. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> It really wasn't, uh, hey, you just, we just saw you on Heart of the City. Let's sign, a, sign you to a mega mega deal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nope, 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 nope. It was really just a launching point, man. You got to do your own work in this game. Mm.
0: Have you pursued uh, other areas of comedy other than stand-up, like improv or sketch?
1: Um, yeah, I have. I write a lot of sketches myself. Um, I started acting in them just because I was the only person that I felt could pull off the vision that I that I wrote it in. Mm. But um, yeah, I do a lot. I'm trying to actually develop um, get somebody to help me develop a sketch comedy show that we want to do on on the web, like on a web series type YouTube type show. But uh, I haven't taken any any improv classes that might be in my near future.
0: So with, when it comes to, cause you said you, you write a lot of sketches when you write sketches, what type of sketches are you writing? Are you writing ones that are like based on real life on pop culture that are just completely absurd and silly? Where do you get your ideas?
1: Um, a lot of times my sketches come from my jokes that I couldn't really make stage funny because it was too descriptive or too many details in it. Um, that's one place I also will write about things that are going on in the world. Um, I wrote one kind of about like, not poking fun at police brutality, but just like something that I think would help, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just like from a, from a comedic standpoint. Mm -hmm. So I'll write things about social issues in ways that I think I can poke fun or make fun uh, or make funny.
0: Mm. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so you said earlier that growing up you didn't really watch Saturday Night Live, but now are you more, do you watch it more because you're a sketch writer?
1: Um, nah, I don't. Reason being, man, like, when I started doing stand-up and writing, I kind of stopped. The fan in me never left but I had to tone the fan in me down because now I'm also a peer of these people. Mm-hmm. So I don't watch a lot of that stuff because I try to keep my ideas fresh. And I don't want, I don't want to steal anything subconsciously that I might see somewhere and not remember and think it's a fresh idea that I had. Cause that's, that's a bad feeling when you think you created something and then you see it and you go, Oh man, I did see that movie, you know? And so, Nah, I don't. I don't really watch it.
0: When it when it comes now, to... I did.
1: I watched Key and Peele, and I was a big fan of Chappelle's.
0: Mm. I okay, I got you. I I was gonna say when it comes to like uh, to stand up and cranking out new ideas. How often are you testing out new material?
1: Um, I'm at the parallel now. I'm at the crossing roads where I have jokes that actually work, and I like tell, mm-hmm. but then those get boring, so what I do is for example, I work at the laughing school a lot, now working at a, at a comedy club a lot you have to kind of keep cycling your recycling your material because you're seeing you're working with the same wait staff the same security guards the same, and just you as a performer, you don't want to keep telling the same jokes, mm-hmm. so I try to at least one new joke per set. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that an open mic. Open mic is strictly for all new material, in my opinion. But when I do a book show, I try to dedicate at least, I try to put at least one new joke in there somewhere. And I try to strategically place it to where if it doesn't work, I can just keep rolling on to something else. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, but no more. I don't do no more than
0: one. And how often are you doing new sets?
1: Uh, well, it's hard to say because my schedule like fluctuates so much. Like Last month, I was really busy. I had a bunch of shows. So last month, I was able to work out. I was able to work. Uh, I do seven minutes last month. Mm. But this month, I've only done two shows. And as of right now, my schedule isn't that busy. So... Who's to say, I might not be able to work in a new joke in? I might just be able to take that one new joke from last month and keep working that one throughout the month.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So,
1: yeah. yeah, man.
0: So uh, because you are a stand-up comedian, I love asking stand-up comedians uh, this question because everyone has their own reaction to it and has their own story to it. Um, and so that question is, what is your, if, if, you, if you have one, what is your most memorable heckling story, and how do you deal with a heckler? <laughs>
1: did a show for some rappers one night, and trying to mix comedy and rap, it's either going to go really good or really bad, no in-between. <laughs> and all of the people were standing up first fail. Stand-up comedy, is uh, the only person needs to be standing is the performer, not the crowd. So I'm standing like, and I'm not on a really elevated stage. I'm on like one of those makeshift stage. <laughs> it's like six <laughs> inches off the ground. And um, every time I would get to a punchline, this guy in the audience would go, Yeah! Oh! So he was doing like my, but he would just go, yeah, after every punchline, man. And so I'm like, yeah, what? And he was like, yeah, that ain't funny. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. And so I made it through the set. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow.
1: Other than that, man, I've been blessed enough not to have to deal with, with, with that too much.
0: Wow. Man, I thought <laughs> I thought it was gonna be something positive. Like he was like, Yeah, that was a good joke, but nope. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. He was uh-uh. not into it. <laughs> uh-uh.
1: Picture after every sentence you say you give me like a paragraph and you get a you, as soon as you finish I go, Yeah <laughs> 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 You'll be like, What the
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wow I have yep. not heard, I've heard all types of stories from all different types of people, but yours is probably one of the most unique I have ever heard. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you mentioned a bit ago uh, about teaching students. Um, uh, we were talking about recording your set, and you mentioned teaching students. Are you a teacher of comedy?
1: Well, as of now, I am. I am going to be teaching uh, just a basic intro to stand-up class over at the Laughing Skull. We're going to be uh, starting November third, first Saturday in November.
0: So, is this your first time ever teaching comedy? Yep,
1: yeah, will be. So, are, well, are, well, I'll say it'll be my first time. This has been a a me teaching is being noted. Gotcha. Because. Um, I'm one of those guys, man. I try to be a comic comic. So, you know, I'm always uh, trying to help somebody construct some jokes or work out some tags or something like that. And people do that for me also, you know. Mm This will be my first time it's been documented as me um, trying to be a comedy instructor.
0: So getting into this, you know, you've probably been thinking about it, deciding what you're going to teach and how you're going to teach it. What's the biggest takeaway you want your students to have from your class?
1: I want them, I want my students to take away being able to find their own funny, uh, honest funny, not none of the low-hanging fruit, easy joke. You know, I want them to really get into who they are as a person. And then I think if they're able to do that, they'll be able to really you know be successful as a comic
0: that's awesome um now i only have i only have two more questions for you um one uh i should have asked at the beginning but i honestly did not think about it until just minutes ago when you were a rapper what was your rap name
1: <laughs> my rap name was kc they used called call me kc because of my name my nickname is uh my la my initials, Kareem Chapman.
0: Oh, okay, so, KC. Yeah. Okay, yeah,
1: he just called me KC. Uh huh.
0: I like it. it. It now. I know we've only been talking for thirty eight minutes, and we've known each other probably for thirty eight minutes. But if you were to give me a rap name, would it? What would it be?
1: Oh, um, let me see. Hmm, hmm. I think all rap names got to All your all your names have to. Include a bit of who you are, and it's just like an excerpt. Let me see. Max Cantor. Let me see. Can't say Mad Max. That's already taken. Max can.
0: <laughs> Max can. I like it. I like it. That is official. That is. A, I'm That's making actually that pretty official. dope. Max can. I pretty like dope. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm g- That's actually pretty dope. I'm already getting business cards printed. This is fantastic. <laughs> this is perfect. Max Let can. me know if you need me to do your CD
1: cover for you. I'm, we'll do it like the old No Limit Flyer.
0: Look, I like it. We're, gonna, we're just going to throw them out all over Atlanta sidewalks. People, people, right. people are going to find me, Max Can. I love it.
1: <laughs> it. Either you sound like a rapper or you running for office. But, uh...
0: <laughs> either way, people will listen. Either way, it doesn't matter. And either way, I'll come find you as my manager.
1: Right, right, right. Let's get it, man. <laughs>
0: Now, as the final question that I have for you is a question I ask every single guest that comes on the show. And uh, the question is, if you were to give one piece of advice to someone who eventually wants to be in your shoes, what piece of advice would you give?
1: Man, um, (laughs) be patient and don't watch what everybody else is doing. Because watching what everybody else is doing, is you ever hear the saying, "Just keep your eyes on your own paper, keep your eyes on the road." Mm. If you keep your eyes on the road, you won't notice what's going on around you, and you won't. It's harder to veer off the road because you're focused on what you're doing. And this game is people that started comedy, man. Like for example, I've never been accepted into a comedy festival ever. I've applied for plenty of them, enough to go. Dang, I could have probably bought me a used car with that money. (laughs) But um, it's people that have been doing comedy for two years, a year, that have done way more festivals. It's people that that come and ask my advice on jokes that get into festivals that I haven't gotten in. Mm. I don't let that deter me, man. I just look at it like, well, shoot, maybe I'm not supposed to be missing a week out of Atlanta during that time Mm. and keep it moving. You can't look at what's going on around you because that's the easiest way to get discouraged. So you just have to stay true to who you are, know what your goal is, and make sure you're working towards that goal. And who cares if the city burns up around you? Mm. Who cares?
0: Yes. That beautifully said. I totally agree. That was awesome. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Plug, if people want to uh, get in touch with you or see you perform, what ways they can do that, ways they can contact you?
1: Uh, Well, all my social media, I kept it simple for everybody, myself more importantly. Uh, (laughs) It's Plug Chapman. Plug Chapman everything. Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. My email is just PlugChapmanComedy at Gmail. And those are pretty much, the easiest ways to find a young man like myself
0: and if people are interested and i don't know if there's still space available but if people are interested in signing up for your comedy class or maybe in the future signing up for it how can they learn more about that
1: oh no what they want to do they want to go to laughing skull lounge.com and uh, all the information as far as classes just schedule um what the, excuse me, what to expect from the class and how to sign up for it, it will all be on the website lapisgulllounge.com
0: Alright, awesome. Well, plug. thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Man, thanks for having me, man. I was honored when I saw the email. I was like, somebody want to interview me? Okay.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I and mean, I was excited to do it and like I said at the beginning, you have been one of the most fun and most energetic and exciting guests I've ever had, so thank you for that.
1: Hey, no problem, man. If I'm boring, then you're going to be boring. There's no (laughs) point of that. Then it's going to be a boring interview nobody wants to listen
0: to. That's absolutely right. So thanks again for being on. And remember, to anyone listening, uh, you can visit us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can also find us at our Facebook page at Talking Late Night. And you can find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. So thanks again to Plug Chapman for being on the show today. Thanks to you for listening. I'm your main man, Max Can.